You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. I, uh, I'm really excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, your pastor is uh, really cool. You know that. And he, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, he's really the only pastor friend I have. Um, you know, I meet a lot of pastors sometimes. They're like, you know, pastor so-and-so and so And I'm like, I don't have any pastor friends. They probably don't like me or don't, you know. But Doug is cool. We're friends. And, uh, and, and you guys know him. Um, it's usually over a, a good plate of tacos that we have some of our best conversations. And, um, and Doug is officially our honorary Latino now. So, uh, so when he's at Metanoia, he's Doug Garcia, um, just so you know. Uh, but I'm super honored and blessed to be here with you guys and with your family here, and, and I think we're going to have a good time this morning. One thing I want to do right quick before I start, I want to show you some images up here of some logos that I think you're going to be familiar with. Uh, if we look up here on the left, we have Target, we have Skype, we have Apple, we have Android, enemies together. Um, we have Beats, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. Now let's look at the bottom row. Call them out if you know them. The first one. Second one. Rolling Stones. Some of you young people are like, a tongue? No, this is Stones. The middle one. And the last one. Baskin Robbins. Did anybody, does anybody here not know any of these logos? You don't know any of them. Raise your hand if you don't know any of them. Anybody here? Father, we pray in Jesus' name right now. <laughs> and so watch. So here's what I want you to know. There are designers and manufacturers and companies and products all over the world. They're known by their brands. You know them by their logos. We don't even, notice this. You called out these brands without having one word on the screen. Because manufacturers have logos. They have trademarks. They have brands. What happens with these trademarks and logos, they distinguish these companies. They set them apart. They, they brand these companies in a way where you can tell who they are and call them out without even having a word on the screen. You notice them. They reflect. And this is important because branding tells the customer who these people are, what these companies are, what they provide. They set up an identity for these companies and these products. Did you know that's important? It's important for companies, products, and manufacturers to set themselves apart with a logo or a brand where anywhere in the world someone can go, that's Nike, that's Target, that's Facebook, that's Instagram. Did you know that God has a brand and God has a logo? There's a logo that God has designed. There's a brand that God has developed so that the world that doesn't know him can identify him. And this is important because it's important to connect people. Because whether or not you believe it or understand this or even want to admit it, we thrive on relationships. People are built to be in relationships. We're designed that way. It's the way we're built. It's the way God created us. And whether you want to admit it or not, we need each other. Some people don't like to say that, but we do need each other. There's some people that I know that are friends of mine that are like, no, nah, I don't believe in that. I'm a loner. You know what you notice about loners? Loners will always hang out with other loners. And so ironically, they're never alone. But we do things a certain way because we're built for relationship, whether you hang out with people for fun or for friendship or for encouragement or for companionship. We love doing things together. We love to connect with people. Now, whether, whether or not you want to ignore it or try to spin it in a different way, we're built for relationships. This is why in, the prison, in a prison system, they, they, they lock people up and they put them in a general population area 
And then when someone keeps doing wrong inside of a prison, the worst punishment they can do to them is to put them in an isolated environment by themselves where they're locked up for 23 hours and they let them out one hour a day. It's the worst punishment they can give you in a prison is isolation. You know why? Because we're built for relationships. And if you really want to punish someone, put them alone. That's why people go crazy in isolation. Whether you admit it or you've accepted it, we're built for relationships. And that's what makes God's brand so important. This is what makes it important for the world that doesn't know God to know who he is and to be exposed to his brand. The world that doesn't know him to be exposed to his logo. I don't know if you know this, but God has a brand. There's a logo that represents God, a a logo that represents his values, what sets him apart from everyone else. And as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to promote that brand wherever you're at, whether at school or at work or with your family, your friends, at the gym or at a coffee shop, wherever you go to eat lunch after church. But whatever you do and wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, God's challenge for you is to express and promote his brand. And as we think about this, I want you to ask yourself, okay, then what's his brand? What does his logo look like? What image is his brand? And I thought about this and I talked to some friends and I thought to myself, well, maybe a a big Bible. If you carry a big Bible, the world will know God is real. Or maybe if you're fluent in in the church world, what we call Christianese. Maybe God's brand is church attendance. Maybe if you come to church all the time, that's the brand, that's the logo that promotes to people that God is real. Let me tell you something, okay? God's brand, God's logo, God's image It's not an external look. It's not an activity. God's brand is something that you express. You know what? You want to know what God's brand is? It's love. This is the brand of God. This is the logo and the trademark that God has designed that he wants the world to know about him. That's his identity. That's his logo. That's his values. That's what sets him apart from everyone else. And if you know God, you know his heart. And the heart of God is always for people. His character, his love, his compassion is always towards people. As a matter of fact, Jesus, the night before he, the night he was arrested and the night before he was crucified, he has a conversation with his friends. And in John 13, he says this to them. Watch this. Look what happens. It says, as as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said this, the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory. Now look at this last statement. And God will be glorified because of him. Look at that last statement. God will be glorified because of Jesus. God will be glorified. God will be glorified. That word glorified is huge. Let me tell you why. The word glorified or glory is the word advertisement. Scripture says, Jesus said, God's going to be advertised because of me. I'm going to advertise God through my life. I'm going to promote God through my lifestyle, by the way I live. Now think about this, because Jesus is teaching his friends a very important lesson about the brand of God. He's telling his friends this, that if you learn to love each other, this is how the world will be introduced to who God is. And this is humongous. Let me tell you why. Because we always think that the world will know God by the great things we do or the miracles that happen or this amazing... And God, Jesus said, no, this is how the world will know God by the way you love people, by the way you love each other. Now, unfortunately, the word love doesn't mean what it used to mean. 
And we use the word love for so many things now, right? You love your children and you love your mother, but you also love pizza and you love candy. And I read a story about this girl who, who broke up with her boyfriend. And about a month later, she writes him a letter. And she says this to him. She says, dear Ricky, I want to tell you how much I miss you. And I want to tell you that I still love you and I made a terrible mistake. I want you back and I can't get you off my mind. I want you to know that I really, really, really love you. And then she signed the letter. And in the bottom of the letter, she put P.S. Good luck and congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> now, now, if you notice something, that wasn't really love. It wasn't love because there was something she wanted to get from him. Poor Ricky. And see, this is the idea behind love. If you, can, if you're, if you're, if you love someone because you can get something from them, that's not love. And if you're with someone that you're with them because you get something from them and they're with you because they get something from you, that's not love. That's a business deal. And this is not how God defines love. You know how God defines love? It's this way. It's the word agape. You know what the word agape means? It means unconditional, no strings attached love. See, agape love, which is God's kind of love, it means I'm going to love even if you never love in return. See how quiet it is? That's mind-blowing to our culture, right? Because we live the kind of love where it's like, hey, I'm going to love you, but come on. If you've ever gotten into an argument in your relationship, you're like, hey, I'm pulling my weight. You got to pull your weight. This is 50-50. And God goes, no, it's 100% zero. I'm going to love you not because you deserve it or you earned it or you worked for it. I'm going to love you just because I love you. No strings attached. Now, according to God, watch this. According to God's definition of love, love isn't a feeling. Think about this. Love is not a feeling according to God. Now, love can include feelings, but love isn't a feeling. You know what love is? Love is a choice. It's a decision you make. Let me prove it to you. In the Bible, Jesus told his disciples, he got them all together from different backgrounds, different lifestyles, different characters, different attitudes, different ways of living. And he got them all together in a room and he says, okay, here's, here's what we do. Love each other. And look what he does. Jesus commands us to love each other. He's actually giving you a command to love someone. Now, this is interesting because if love is a feeling, you can't command your feelings. But you can command your actions. Love is a choice. It's a decision you make. See, love is a decision you make for someone else's good. It's actually a choice you make to be compassionate to someone, even if they don't deserve it. And you know why it's so important that we allow God and his love to flow through us to love each other? You know why it's important? Because... If you've ever been sick, you've had a fever, you've had a flu, you know that there are symptoms, right? You have a sore throat, you have a runny nose, you have, you have a headache, you get cold chills or whatever it is. But whenever you have a fever or a flu, there are external symptoms that tell you that something's wrong on the inside. So get, get the perspective. There's something on the inside that's wrong that is exposed through the outside. Are you with me so far? So it's the same way with, with the love of God. 
When you have a flu, there are external symptoms. When you have the love of God in you, there are external symptoms. There are certain things that happen on the outside that show you and show others around you that there's something happening on the inside. See, it's impossible for you to say that you love God, but you hate people. It's impossible for you to say, man, I have a great relationship with God. I just don't like people. There's an old Charlie Brown cartoon. I don't know if some of you remember who Charlie Brown is. Yeah? Yeah, sometimes in my church, I'm like, Charlie Brown, and the young people are like, cool. <laughs> so in an old Charlie Brown cartoon, there's, there's, this, there's these two panels on the cartoon, right? This one panel where Charlie Brown's walking around, looking up with his hands open, open, and he says, I love the world. I think the world is a wonderful place. And then on the final panel, he says, it's just people I can't stand. There's a lot of people in church like that. We come into the house of God, we lift our hands, we sing, we clap, we take notes, we say amen, we're enjoying ourselves, and we say we love God, but we hate people. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are external symptoms of God's love. And those, the, the love you have for people has to do with people you like and people you don't like. Your love for people, friends, family, strangers, enemies, And did you know that we can get a really great grasp on your relationship with God by the way you treat people? The way you and I treat people gives you a clear indicator of where you're at with God. Have you ever wondered, I've always wondered this, and especially now during the holidays, because you know, during the holidays, you typically have some family members that show up that you wish didn't show up. You ever had that? You ever had something like on Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, why did that cousin show up? And then during Christmas, you're like trying to figure out with your family, like, where are we going to meet so that they don't know? It's like a Mission Impossible, right, thing. You're like, let's just, I'll let you know that day. We all have family members that we don't get along with. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I can't think of any family member that I don't like, it's because you're the one that people don't like. That's why. <laughs> so it's okay. Don't worry. We love you and you're welcome at City Church and you're part of this family. But have you ever wondered why God puts people in your life that you can't stand? Think about this. Like right now, can you think of someone you just cannot stand? Now, if they're married to you and they're sitting next to you, don't say amen or don't, <laughs> don't agree in any way. But think of someone. You just, whether it's at work or at school or neighbor or somebody that you do business with, or some, you just can't stand them. Think about that. Why does God put people in your life that know how to push your buttons? Here's the reason why. God puts people in your life that you can't stand in order to teach you how to love the way he loves. Think about this. He puts people in your life that you can't stand in order to teach you how to love the way he loves. I'll prove it to you. Romans 5, 8 says this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Look at the statement. God sends Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, this is what this scripture is saying. God loved us when we were still unlovable. He gave us his best when we were at our worst. And the reason why he puts people in your life that you can't stand is to teach you how to love the way he loves so that you can practice loving people the way he loves people.
See, God models it and he wants us to practice it. That's why I keep telling you, your love for God is directly related and it shows in your love for people. I'll put it this way. I have a little boy. He's going to be two years old on Tuesday. His name is Jaden. That's him up here. Okay. That little monkey right there is wild. So just not, don't get too, don't get too excited. He's a handful and I love this kid, but I have people in my life that love my boy and they're kind to him and generous with him and they're loving with him and they take care of them and they always watch out for them and they're always looking for his welfare. Let me tell you something about that. Those people that are like that with my son never have to tell me once that they love me. I know they love me by the way they treat my children. How many parents can agree with that? If someone treats your children right, you know they love you. They may never tell you I love you, but you know, listen, you know by the way they treat your children. This is how God works. It's impossible for you and I to say I love God, but you hate his children. You mistreat his children. You ignore his children. See, if someone treats Jay good, I know they love me. And guess what? They'd never have to tell me that they love me. I know by the way they treat my son. And this is what I'm talking about. When God calls us to love each other, God says, look, I'd rather you love each other than memorize every song in the service. I'd, love, I'd rather you love each other and forgive each other and build community together and reach others in the city and bring other people in than memorize every verse in the Bible. And Jesus said it this way. He said, this is how the world will know that you're my followers if you love each other. The world won't know that God is real if we carry big Bibles or if we wear Christian t-shirts or if we sing really loud or we, we, you know, we, we memorize every verse in the Bible. The way the world will know, there's a world that's seeking for God even if they don't know they're seeking for him. But Jesus said, the way you and I can promote God's love to the world is by the way we love each other. See, because God wants you and I to become a functional part of this family. See, there's too many people that are visiting parts. But God wants you to be a functional part. He wants every one of us to contribute what we have to our city, to our church, to our community, to our state, to our nation, to this world. And this is why the enemy loves to create division in churches. He loves to create arguments among communities because once we're not loving each other, we're no longer promoting God's brand. Once there's division or there's segregation or people are looking down on each other or people think that they're better than other people, there's division and the world, the church is no longer attractive to those who are looking for God. And this is why Satan uses racial prejudice and personality differences and anything to keep us from loving each other. But Jesus made it very clear. This is how the world will know that you're my followers if you love each other. There's one more verse that says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Look at what it says. It says, most important of all, Continue to show a deep love for each other. Now look at this statement. Here's what I want you to take home with you. For love covers a multitude of sin. For love covers a multitude of sin. Listen, love covers a multitude of sin doesn't mean you cover people up and like if they're gonna rob a bank, you help them get away with it. Doesn't mean that. Like, oh, I'm, a, I'm part of the cover-up. No. What love covers a multitude of sins means this. If I know that you're wrong and you're, you're, you're doing something wrong or you're broken or you're hurting or there's something going on in your life that shouldn't happen because I love you, 
I'm going to do everything I can to help you and get you restored and get you back on track. But in the process, I'm going to cover you and protect you from all the outside criticism, from all the slander, from all the gossip. I'm going to cover you and protect you from people who want to hurt you by exposing you. Okay, let me put it in a way where the younger generation will understand. Love covers a multitude of sins. All that means is that God's love is basically like a Snapchat filter. That's all it means. That's what that verse means. If we were writing this Bible in our generation now, it would say, can you put that back up there? Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love is like a Snapchat filter. You know what I mean by that? You ever seen people take Snapchat photos and they look really hot? And then you meet them in person and you're like, oh my God, what? Snapchat is legit. Right? Because Snapchat clears your skin. It gives you different colored eyes. It makes it look good. And then you meet the person. You're like, ah, we'll just communicate through Snapchat, man. It's, it's all good. But what does Snapchat do, right? What does the filter do? It makes you look better than what you really are. And that's what the Bible says. You know what love does? God's love, it believes the best about people, even if they're not there yet. It sees what you can become as opposed to who you are right now. And that's what God loves. That's how God's love works. And so, I want to close with this. There was a story, a love story. I don't know if you guys are into love stories. But we all understand the old traditional movie romantic love story of a man and a woman falling in love. And this man falls in love with this woman. And one day he decides he wants to marry her. And he wants to ask for her hand in marriage. And so he goes, and he's a traditional guy, so he goes to her parents and asks for, her, for their blessing. And some of you guys are going, What? But that's an old traditional way. He goes to their parents and says, hey, I want your blessing to marry your daughter. And they say, yes. He goes and he buys the ring. And he sets up this beautiful dinner with musicians and a romantic setting. And, and at, the, at the right moment, he decides he's going to get on one knee. That's a traditional thing, man. He gets on one knee. He tells her how much he loves her. And then he asks her if she'll marry him. And she says, yes. Now, wouldn't it be crazy if right at the moment where he's on one knee and he's about to ask her to marry him, wouldn't it be crazy if he went, hold on real quick. And then he called his best friend and he goes, okay, go. And his best friend runs in and goes, um, he wants to know if you want to marry him. That'd be horrible. Or he calls his mom and his dad and they're like, ah, uh, sweetheart, we just want uh, to speak on his behalf and tell you that he really loves you and he'd really like you to marry him. Or his buddies or his college friends or his coworkers. The worst thing that could happen at that moment is for him to ask someone else to ask for her hand in marriage. Why? why? And the reason why is this, because when it comes to love, you have to go yourself. When it comes to love, you can't send someone else. When it comes to love, you don't send your friends. You don't send your family. You don't send your classmates. You don't send your coworkers. When it comes to love, real love, you have to go yourself. That's the story of Jesus. That's why the scripture says in John 3, 16, for this is how much God loved the world. He sent his son. You know why God sends Jesus? Because when it comes to love, you have to go yourself. See, when God wanted you to know the law, he sent Moses. 
And we wanted to send you a word of prophecy, he sent the prophets. And when he wanted you to know the rules, he sent the judges. And when he wanted you to follow those rules, he sent the, he sent the kings. And all through the Old Testament, you meet different people that represent God because through anything else, you can send someone else. But when it came time to God, for God to express his love to you, he came himself. Because when it comes to love, you have to go yourself. And this is the story of God. This is the story that we bring to you. That God pursues you. And he walked among us to, to chase you down with his love. And even if you reject him or even if you're not ready for him, he's okay with that. He's not deterred. Because even right now as I speak, he's still pursuing you. You're here because he loves you. And God is here to meet you. And you know why? Because when it comes to love, it has to be face to face. There has to be contact. Love can't exist where there's distance. And so God had to send himself to express his love to you. And this is why the message of the gospel of Jesus is so important. Because the message of the gospel is not judgment. The message of the gospel is not condemnation. The message of the gospel is simple. In spite of who you are and what you are and where you are, God loves you. And he loves you so much that he pursues you even when you reject him. Even when you turn from him, even when you tell him you're not ready, even when you tell him you're too young or you're too old or you've got some things to do, he still pursues you. And the pursuit of God is something that you'll never get rid of. And you may be here today and you're not looking for God, but that's okay because God is looking for you. There's a story I heard years ago as I close about a man by the name of Billy Graham. Who's ever heard of Billy Graham? Raise your hand. Billy Graham is probably the greatest evangelist of our generation and the last generations. And when he was a young preacher, he was going to a different city. He was driving to a different city to preach that night. And what happened was he got pulled over for speeding. And the officer pulled him over, gave him a citation. And Billy said, man, I'm on my way to another city. Is there any way, Billy was 20 years old, is there any way that I can take care of it right now where we're at? And the officer said, no, you have to go to the courthouse and you have to take care of it at the courthouse. He's like, oh man, I'm gonna be late. So Billy Graham drives in, goes to the courthouse. He walks in, the entire courthouse is empty. It's a small town. And so he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And finally, the judge shows up and he's putting on his robe. And ironically, the judge happened to be the same officer that arrested him or gave him a ticket. It's a small town. So he walks up and the judge goes, okay, let's see what we have here. And Billy's the only one in the room. He says, okay, it says here that you were cited for speeding. And Billy's like, yeah, you gave me the ticket. He says, okay. He said, that's going to be $150. And Billy tells the story. He says, at that moment, I started pulling my, my wallet out of my pocket. And the judge said, Billy Graham, Billy Graham. He said, are you Billy Graham, the, the preacher? And he said, well, yeah, I am. He said, no, the evangelist, the guy that preaches everywhere. And Billy Graham says, yes, that's me. He, the judge said, oh, my God, my wife and I listen to you every morning on the radio. And Billy tells a story. He says, at that point, I started putting my wallet back into my pocket. <laughs> he said, well, that's great. I'm glad that my ministry has blessed you. He says, man, let's get rid of this thing, man. I, let's just do away with it. And Billy says, I agree 100%. <laughs> and the judge says, but even though I'd like to, Billy, I can't. He said, because it's already on record and it's on file. He said, man, I love your ministry and I love what you do, but this is already on record. I have to judge you for this. Billy says, at that point, I started getting my wallet back out. 
He said, and the judge says, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I can't ignore it and I can't do away with it. He said, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Billy. At that moment, the judge pulled out his own wallet and said, I'm going to pay the fine for you. The story says that the judge pulled out the money, signed the document, hit the gavel, and Billy walked out. And Billy Graham said, that day I walked out of that courtroom free and justified, not because the judge ignored my wrong, not because I did anything to earn it, but because he paid my fine. And that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we stand in the courtroom of God and God says, you're guilty. And guess what we say? You're right. And as much as we try and as much as we justify and as much as we try to make excuses, there's nothing we can do. We stand before God and we're wrong. And you know what the Bible says? That one day that judge named God the Father said, I'd, I'd like to ignore your sin. I'd like to ignore your wrong, but I can't. It's on record. And the Father said, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay your debt for you. And that's the story of the gospel. Jesus came to the earth to pay a sin debt that you and I owed. And all you have to do is say, yeah, I accept your payment. That's all it is. This isn't about religion. It's not about church. It's not about denomination. It's not about being a pastor or being un anything else. This is about a message of love. God loved you, even in your sin, even in your wrong. He loved you when you were unlovable. When you were at your worst, he gave you his best name, Jesus. And Jesus, through his blood, paid your sin debt. And God doesn't ignore your wrong. He just takes care of it. And that's why when we as followers of Jesus are called to live out and promote the brand of God, we're, we're, we're called to promote that kind of love to people that don't know who God is. That's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want to challenge you to make a decision today and say, you know what? I realized something. God has called me to be a walking, talking billboard, not of religion, not of church, not of denomination. That's not my calling, but of his love. So that people that don't know him could know who he really is. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because we as a church, and I don't mean city church, I mean the church as a whole in the world, we've done a really screwed up job of representing God. We've really messed that up. And people hear that we're followers of Jesus, and they're like, ah, I'm not into religion. And I tell people all the time, good, neither am I. Sometimes I'll share Jesus, and somebody will go, ah, I don't, I'm not into Jesus, man. I don't even like Jesus. I'm not into that stuff. And I always say, look, before you go there, can we make sure we're talking about the same Jesus? And I've had to apologize to people and say, I'm sorry for the way we've represented God. I'm sorry for how we've been as a church, as a whole, we've been judgmental and how we've been hypocritical and how we've been evil in the way we do things. I'm sorry. And so I think it's so important for us and a church like this that is so full of faith and that loves God. I think it's so important for churches like this with a pastor and his family like yours, that we begin to rebrand Jesus and let the world know who he really is and let the world know that he's, Jesus said in John 3, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to, to let the world know that they're loved by God. And so I want to challenge you today. Take it upon yourself and say, today I accept the fact that I'm a billboard. God has a brand and my job is to promote that brand with the people I love, with the people I don't like, family, not family, friends, coworkers, whoever it is. God challenges us to let the world know that he's real and that he's love. Every head bowed this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you for just giving us clarity on who you are, on your brand of love for people that are lost and hurting and broken. And also, God, 
the challenge and the call you've given us to promote you and to be walking, talking billboards of your brand and your logo. God, you have not called us to brand or to represent or to, or to bring out religion or church or denomination. You've called us to promote you and your love for people and your love for the lost and the hurting and the broken. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that we would take it upon ourselves to say, Lord, we accept that responsibility. We want to represent the brand of God. We want to promote your logo. We want the world to know that you're alive and that you're real. And we thank you, God, for your word. And this morning, if you're here and you've never had an encounter with Jesus, I would be honored to introduce you. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, maybe you're not interested, maybe you're not even religious or you're not into church, maybe you're not spiritual or you're of a different religion, I would love to introduce you to Jesus this morning. Maybe you just, maybe you've come to church, but you don't really know God. Maybe you know about God, but you don't know God. If there's anyone here this morning, I'd like to pray with you. And you can pray this with me out loud. You can pray it in your heart. You don't have to, you can pray it silently if you want. But I want to invite you this morning to pray with me. Just say this with me right there where you're at. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Even when I was unlovable. I need you. And I ask you to forgive me. For all of my sins. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.